Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge podcast. On today's episode, we've got a panel of teachers who will be weighing in on a number of topics. How to get through the long months of April and May, how they balance their extracurricular duties, and how they build and heal relationships with students and parents. Our guests are Lindsay Matthews, an English teacher at Pocatello's Alameda Middle School, Julie Naraki, a math teacher at Idaho Falls Skyline High, and Dr. Karen Lauritsen, a teacher at Post Falls Treaty Rock Elementary and Idaho's Teacher of the Year. Without further ado, here's the show. All right, so thanks so much to our guests for being here with us again on the Teacher's Lounge podcast. So this week we've got three different topics we'll tackle. And the first one's about the really long spring because when it gets to April and May, spring break has passed and there are just two long, exhausting months ahead. And they're exhausting for a number of reasons. They're often packed with testing, there are no big breaks, and students and teachers tend to be really tired and everybody's counting down for the end of the summer. So I wanted to see what you guys do to stay energized and make the most of spring. How do you keep your students focused and engaged? And do you have any tips or ideas for other teachers about what works? So Lindsay, we'll start with you. Um, so I'm kind of lucky because one of my favorite things to tackle as an English language arts teacher, poetry, happens to have a whole month dedicated to it in the spring. So April is National Poetry Month. And I try to involve as much um, poetry in my activities that I do during the month of April. Um, not so much looking forward in the next couple weeks with this weather, but like one of the ways I do it is like getting the kids moving. Um, so walking around the school and like we we pick something, like I give them prompts. Uh, last year, one of the things I did is we took a little walk around the school and they had to find five ugly things. And then when we got back in the classroom, they had to write poems in which they made the ugly things beautiful. Um, and it was like a really fun challenge. And we involve like figurative language. And it's 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 a fun way that gets them moving um, out of the classroom a little bit. But also I can still include our content and what we're doing, what we need to cover with it. And so that's really helpful. Um, but I haven't done that with sixth graders yet. So we'll see kind of how that works. Um, but I think movement is a must, like they've kind of been cooped up, kids have been cooped up all winter long and they're excited to get outside and to play and stuff. So I'm hoping this weather improves soon so we can do it. But that's kind of been one of my go-to tricks uh, the past, past few years is just kind of getting them outside, getting them in nature, and then bringing that into the classroom as well. Mm -hmm. And just so the listeners know, Lindsay is based out of Pocatello and here it has been like the winter blizzard that's never ended, even at the end of March. But I love that idea you have of movement. I think that would work really well as like a pressure release for kids, just breaking up the routine, doing something different, adding some fun and creativity into the lessons whenever you can. Um, Julie, what do you think? What are some of your ideas? Well, um, you know, once we get back from spring break, we don't have, we really don't have any breaks until the end of the year. And so one of the things that I kind of focus on with my kids is um, really like what those timelines are. Um, and a lot of my students at the secondary level are um, right in the middle of testing. So we're doing ISAT testing right now. Um, in a couple of weeks, they're gonna start 
um, they have their SATs in about two weeks. And then after that, in two weeks, they have their AP tests. And for my dual credit students, they'll have their college finals. So um, we kind of work through a lot of timelines. Like we've, you know, we can do anything hard for the next five minutes. We can do anything hard for a week. Um, and so we kind of get into a test prep mode where um, we're doing more problem solving and they're working together in groups. So there's not a lot of homework for them to do. I think they kind of get, get excited about that. We do a lot more project-based stuff, um, but kind of just looking forward, like, you know, in two weeks, we've got this coming up and in two weeks we have that coming up. And if the weather improves, I always have projects for the kids um, that involve something going outside. Like we do a treasure hunt with vectors and, and the track field and things like that. Unfortunately, the weather just hasn't cooperated yet. So hopefully, Hopefully that snow will go away and we can do some of that. Um, I also try to get them really excited about graduation. So even though they're not all seniors, as we start getting the seniors ready for graduation and they're talking about colleges and getting accepted for colleges, kind of getting them excited about the future, um, I think kind of carries them through a little bit, especially as we're sitting here doing ISAT testing and SAT testing, kind of showing them that I mean, testing kind of stinks sometimes, but it, it's it's our reality. And so there's some benefits that that are there if if we can perform well. So um, that's kind of just just getting them to do a little something different than sitting in their desks and giving them something to look forward to is kind of kind of my go to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that perspective you bring from the high school level because you really do have a lot of tests. And um, at the middle school level, Lindsay, what do you guys have for testing in the spring? Is it just the ISAT? Yeah, so it's actually kind of going to be weird this year because I'm used to more um, kind of interruptions for the testing. And we have the ISAT, and it's also split up differently. So it does end up how my school does it, at least. I don't know how other middle schools do it, but it takes a whole week. So we have two days for the PT, two days for the CAT, and then that, like, Friday is, like, if anybody needs extra time to finish it. Um, so it is gonna be a lot less testing for me this year, which is gonna be kind of weird. Uh, and we'll see how that goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but Julie, I liked your ideas about breaking the timeline up into bite-sized chunks. Cause if you look at those two months all together from a student perspective, that could be um, really overwhelming. And yeah. seniors can be especially hard in the spring too, because they get that dreaded senioritis and they're ready to move on with your with their lives. So I like that you just tap into that and say, yeah, the future is coming. Let's talk about what that's going to be. Um, I used to teach seniors and I would try to remind them during this time of the year to savor the time that they had left because after this year, everything will change. Their friends will scatter across the country. They might not live at home with mom and dad anymore. They might be facing a big move. The typical school schedule that they've had since kindergartners will be different. They'll have more freedoms. So I tried to just have them remember to embrace those small moments while they lasted. Karen, how about you? Well, we also, um, you know, in the elementary schools, we have the ISAT tests. And this year we're taking the long version. <laughs> so it's going to be uh, quite a bit different for our younger students. Um, but one of the things that I'm really focusing on as an educator is global competency. And so this year, one of the things that my students are going to do um, after our ISATs are over is we're going to work on some service projects. 
And that's basically one of the things that I think is really exciting for students to do this time of year. And it, you can really encapsulate a lot of learning into that, uh, be it math or language arts. And it's also something that allow students to um, really bring some, own, uh, some of their own personal agency into their learning as well, because it allows them to kind of decide what they're passionate about. What is something about the world that they want to change? And so this year, um, my students were learning about the, um, the sustainable development goals um, you know, all around the world. And so they were thinking, um, one of the things that was really surprising to them um, was that they um, found that there's not you know, access to clean water um, all over the world. Um, and not, not only around the world, but even in the United States. And so one of the things that they're going to do is they're going to um, do a fundraiser uh, for Africa uh, to develop uh, wells. And so that's something that I think that any classroom can do. It's just a service project. And that's something that you can make as small or as large as you want it to be. It can be a service project around your school. It can be a service project around your community, um, or it can be for somewhere halfway across the world. Um, so I think that that's something that kids can do um, that really kind of brings some excitement to learning because it's what they're passionate about. And so that's something that I think is really exciting. And that's something that I feel that um, when educators bring choice into learning, and that's something that I really try to do in those last few months of school, is really just give kids choice in showing what they know and what they have learned so far in the school year. That's really exciting to kids. So if they're developing websites or making slideshows, um, just how they want to show their learning and giving them choice um, is something that's really powerful in those last few months of school. Um, and it really just kind of helps them uh, just keep engaged and kind of just keeps that learning going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love those ideas too of, like you said, giving kids choice and agency and I think learning always resonates more for students when it has an impact on the real world, like your service projects. It matters. It it does something beyond the classroom. Um, so when you guys addressed this, I noticed that you all just talked about how to help students, which is like the very natural teacher response, and I love it. But none of you said how you personally get through the really hard spring. And I would love to hear some of your ideas on that because it's hard for teachers too, you know? Teachers are human, they get tired. So how do you get yourselves through the spring? Um, I'll go first. This is Julie Naraki. Um, I, I do two things. I set two really hard boundaries for myself. Um, my first one is that I put everything away and go to bed at 10 o'clock every night during the school week. Um, and I do that starting spring break. So it, it rarely happens before that, but when spring break hits, cause it's, it's a really tiring time right now. And if, if I, I'm like, if I don't do, I mean, I don't always go to sleep. Sometimes I, I get in bed and I read or whatever, but it's like, I'm, I'm putting everything away. Um, and the other thing is that on Saturdays from spring break to the end of the school year, I don't do any school work. So I take every Saturday off. Um, and, and sometimes that means I work almost all day on Sunday and sometimes I don't. But I, I make Saturday like a family day and, and I do fun things with my husband or if my kids are around, but I, 
I think it's like one of the only ways I can keep myself kind of sane because it gets kind of crazy. Yeah, I think those are really good tips. Just helping yourself get sleep and then taking a break Saturday. Saturday is a good day to do it because by that time you've done five crazy days. So you can at least reset your clock to start up again Sunday if it has to be. (laughs) Um, Karen or Lindsay, do you guys want to add anything? Um, I just think that boundary is, is really important and just not overextending yourself leading into that end of the the year. Cause it's really easy to kind of get caught up. Like I feel like kids get more stressed out this time of year too, than with other end of trimesters. And it's like, it's like now or never type mentality. And so it's really easy to just overextend yourself. And so I think boundaries are huge. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's easy for teachers to um, lose their boundaries because they're always thinking about kids first. But, you know, really keeping those boundaries does help kids in the long run. Yeah, and this is Karen. Um, I think that since I've been an educator uh, for 21 years, um, I'm kind of one of the old salts in my building. (laughs) And I feel like I, you know, I've kind of um, mastered how to... um, kind of how to run a classroom this time of year. And I feel like I, I've i kind of got a good handle on it. So um, I kind of see my role right now um, as kind of keeping an eye on the younger or newer educators, the early career educators in my building, um, and just making sure that they have what they need um, and they are, they're doing okay. Um, so, um, you know, this is, the, this is the time of year where, um, like I tend to feel less stress and I feel better if I am just kind of checking on others and making sure that that they're doing all right. Um, I'm just kind of like giving them little little you know care packages and um, doing you know doing little things for them and just making sure that everybody's needs are met. So I think that that's something that you know us teachers who are more experienced. Um, can kind of do it around our buildings is just to make sure that those early career educators um, are doing okay. Because a lot of times I, I think that maybe they they don't ask or, um, you know, they, they want to seem competent, you know, because of course we all do. Um, so I just always make sure that, you know, I'm just checking in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, and it can be something as simple as, like, we used to have this teacher in my hallway who always had Jolly Ranchers, and she'd just go around at lunch and pass those out to teachers, you know, just little things like that can be helpful. All right, so let's move on to the second category here. And this question is about all the things that teachers do outside of the classroom and all the hats that they wear. Every teacher in a school does something extra, whether it's running a club, coaching sports, giving up their lunch to help kids. Um, And that outside of contract work, it's not required, but teachers pretty much do it anyway. And I think it's because, you know, they just care about kids. But I just wanted to hear your guys' thoughts on that. What are some of the extracurriculars or extras you do outside of the classroom? Um, why do you take those tasks on and how do you find the fine line of helping and contributing to your community, but not doing so much that it depletes you? Julie, we'll start with you this time. Um, 
I, I think like over the 12 years that I've been just in this building, um, I've changed my hats a lot. And, and I always think back to my first year um, teaching here. I had a, a fantastic mentor and she convinced me to help her run the scholastic team. And she was like, it'll, it'll help you. You'll get to know a different group of kids and, and you'll get to meet teachers in other buildings. And, and I loved it. I did it for, I think maybe four or five years. And then I was like, oh, you know, my kids are, are getting active. I, I think I need to give this up. And so then I found another teacher to take it on. And that, that's kind of how, how everything kind of is. And, and if you can get people involved in the building and show them how much worth you get um, just from being part of building that school community, um, trying to, to get other people involved, I think it's, it's always been a, um, kind of a, a beneficial thing for school culture. So like this year, I'm the president of our association. So I'm pretty busy every single day after school, during school, before school. Um, but I'm also on our, our HRS team, which we have highly reliable, highly reliability schools here. Um, so we have like an extra meeting a week that talks about leadership. I, I have a couple teachers that I mentor. Um, and so, so those things are all kind of like extra hats that are, are jobs in my mind. Um, but I always encourage our new teachers to try to find something that, that they like to do. It doesn't always have to be like a job. Um, I run the clock on all of the girls' basketball games. Um, and my husband, only their home games, and my husband does their book. And so it's kind of like a date night for us that's at school. And so I get to see my kids in a different way because they're, they're playing sports or they're watching sports. I get to sit with my husband. You know, I get to watch the kids play. That's kind of fun. I love dancing. So the kids will, they'll always ask me to chaperone their dances. Um, and I love doing that. I do the, the homecoming dance. Um, I do the the prom dance. And so it's just, you know, like you get to see the kids all dressed up and they're so excited. Um, and so I'm always trying to get, especially like the new teachers to find something like help out with student government. Like you don't have to take it on as a full-time job, but just, you know, volunteer, be in there a little bit and see see if that's something that, that you're interested in. Um, because I think the more people are involved, um, it helps build that community. It also helps them you know, as a teacher or a staff member have a sense of belonging because we are really building a family here and and we give so much um, to our kids, our students, but but we also want to take care of our staff. We want to take care of our faculty. We want to take care of our admin. We want to understand each other and get to know each other. And especially at a secondary level, because we tend to like shut the door, teach, don't don't bother us. We, we you know, we kind of have like our own little islands. And so, and there's so many, we have like almost 80, 81 or 82 staff members in our building. And so it's huge. Like even if you go to a faculty meeting, you can't really get to know each other's, but you can kind of get to know people in a different light when, when you put on a different hat. And so, um, I don't know, just building that school culture. And I think it lets the kids see that you're human too. You know, like you're not just a teacher, you care about me. You, you know, you, you want to see us play sports. You want to see us in our plays. You want to see us debate. It, it's, it, it gets them really excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you bring up a lot of really good points. Um, and it's true that when you're out of the classroom, you get to know kids better and in a different way. And even at the high school level, when they're older, they might not be as quick to say, please come to my play or my game, but it still means just as much to them when their teachers show up to support them. And I like what you said about the beginning about how maybe your extras change based on the phase of your life. Like maybe at a certain point you can take on more 
and other times you can't and it's okay if it fluctuates a little bit with you. Karen, what, what are some of your extras that you take on? Well, just about, you know, every day at lunch, I have kids in my classroom, <laughs> um, you know, who are working on making them miss work or who need extra help on things. So that's just a daily thing that happens in my classroom. Um, I'm also on my, my school's uh, behavior team. So um, I kind of lend my expertise to that because I did get a master's degree um, in special education with an emphasis in um, behavior and autism and developmental disabilities. So I have um, a pretty good background in that. Um, also, uh, part of the reason why um, I went ahead and pursued a PhD in um, curriculum and instruction at the University of Idaho is because um, I really noticed that in Idaho, especially, um, we're having a problem with teacher attrition and teachers are leaving the classroom. And so I, I understand that teachers really have to advocate for the profession itself. And that's really what my dissertation was about is, um, you know, teachers, like we just talked about, we advocate for students all the time. That's just something that we always do. Um, but we also have to advocate for ourselves um, and to make, um, you know, our profession something that new educators want to do and that education students want to come into our profession. Um, so that's something that I do um, all the time. Um, like Julie, I am also president of my um, association. And so that's something that keeps me really busy. And um, in our area up here in Post Falls, um, me and a group of about five um, women here in our area, we uh, started a group called Citizens for Post Falls Schools. And that's something that um, also keeps me very busy and it really helps support our schools in our area. Um, and it helped pass our last levy which was really significant in helping our students in our area. Um, and I think that without the support of our group, our levy would not have passed um, because the two levies in our area um, did not pass, um, you know, in Coeur d'Alene and in Lakeland. Um, so that's something that, you know, I would say that in the two or three months leading up to each and every levy year, it's a part-time job. I work on it six hours on Saturday and Sunday every single weekend. And it's something that keeps me constantly busy, but that's something that I do so that the students in my classroom and in classrooms all over Post Falls have the resources that they deserve. I think that's really admirable that you take on so much outside of the classroom to help not just your students, but your teachers, your community. And I want to go back because for listeners, um, Karen kind of glanced over this, but she just had a major accomplishment this week, which was she defended her dissertation and earned her PhD. So major congratulations to her. That's a really, really big deal. And I am just so impressed that you have been able to juggle being a doctoral student, being the teacher of the year, um, all your normal teaching duties, plus these extras you do. And I mean, it comes with a cost. You said you're working through your whole weekends all the time. So how do you 
make it sustainable or are you going to make changes in the future so it's sustainable, your workload? Well, the you know, to me, it's you, you really do what gives you joy mm-hmm. and you do what you love. And I really do love advocacy work. And it, it does give me joy to be able to, um, to do things that make my community better. And so um, when I am able to like help pass a levy in my area, when I am able to go to the legislature and speak with them and do work that I feel actually makes a difference, um, I really don't mind spending that time when I feel that I actually get things done. And that's really meaningful to me. And when I feel that the students in Idaho um, are getting a benefit from my hard work, then I really do feel that it's making a difference. And what I hope is that I can get more teachers to help with the effort. And that's really what, what I'm hoping to see is because um, instead of me spending six hours, I would like to have six teachers each help an hour. That would be really helpful because I think that the more educators that we have helping out um, with these endeavors, um, the more powerful we will, you know, things that will happen for, for Idaho's kids. And that's what I would really love to see in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's an interesting way to measure it. Like, how much joy does this task give me? How much impact does it have? And if it does those things for you, it might be worth a busy schedule. But then it could change in your life. Maybe something that gave you joy for a long time might start to wane and you could change it up like like Julie was mentioning. And then I was curious, with your doctorate that you now have, do you see yourself staying in the classroom or... Would you like to move on to a leadership position at some point? Um, I think what I would like to do is at some point I would see myself um, working as a professor and uh, leading pre-service teachers. Um, I think that I would really enjoy and be good at um, helping new educators uh, be classroom teachers that are really passionate about the classroom and are understanding the art and the science of teaching. And um, I feel that I absolutely love coming into the classroom every day and I would totally miss it. That's completely true. But I do feel that our pre-service teachers absolutely deserve professors who still love teaching um, and have a huge background of information about the classroom like I do and a wealth of knowledge and who are passionate about it. And um, I really feel like I would have a lot to offer. Yeah, and having a professor who's done it for a long time, because you said you've been in education 22 years? Yeah, 21 years. Uh Yeah. Nice, awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. Um, Lindsay, so what are some some of your extras that you do? Okay, so this is the first time in 11 years of teaching that I don't have anything. And it's really weird, um, but I'm also getting like the opposite side. So kind of like what Karen mentioned earlier, um, this is like the first year I'm like the veteran teacher on the block. Like it's my first year in middle school, but I've been teaching longer than um, every other teacher on my sixth grade team. And so it's kind of interesting because like I know some things, but I don't know other things at all. But what's really interesting and what this question got me thinking of is the... um, 
nearly all teachers do this outside stuff. And like, why is that? My, um, the other sixth grade ELA teacher comes to me for advice a lot. And it's kind of cool because we get along well. We vibe really well. She reminds me of me like 10 years ago. Um, and I love that. It's super fun. But she um, was telling me like she's involved in like five extracurricular things. And I'm like, oh, that's probably why they didn't offer me anything. Like <laughs> you're, there's all these people doing all these things. And she told me um, when I was like, why are like, why are you doing this? And why are you doing that? Another veteran teacher had told her the first three years that you are in education, you need to say yes to everything. You don't say no to anything extracurricular. And I told her, I was like, that's not how it works at all. And she's like, really? She's like, I thought that was like required. And I don't know if I just really lucked out when I got into teaching. Like I had great veteran teachers that really helped guide me and I could talk, come to them for advice and stuff like that. And I have only ever really done extracurriculars that my heart like wanted to do at that time. Like I've been a union rep. I have been a mentor teacher. I have done um, like a, a tree huggers recycling club. I've done creative writing club. I've done virtues club, like kind of um, like what Julie said earlier, like as those hats have changed as my interests and abilities have changed. And I, I told her, I'm like, you should only do the things that like you're happy to be there for. Cause I feel too, the kids can tell if you're doing it because it's like expected of you versus like you are happy to be there. And so it's kind of funny because after we had that conversation, she did end up resigning from one of her positions um, and it has like alleviated so much of her stress. And so it kind of was like a great learning experience for her, but also I never heard that, that like, oh, you don't say no to anything. You do everything they tell you to do. And she was like fully overextending herself. And so I think boundaries are really important in just making sure that we, we do the things that we want to do. Like I'm already starting to like, what can I be a part, a part of for next year? Because I'm kind of bored not having anything outside of the classroom to do and I want to be more involved. Um, but it's it's been interesting to kind of see like that more like newbie perspective and some of those expectations that she had handed down to her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective. And I love to hear just kind of the diversity just from you three and it seems, Lindsay, like it was maybe a nice time for you to, to not have an extracurricular because you went to middle school for the first time ever this year. So you're learning something new. You're designing all your lesson plans from scratch. Um, and then you get to kind of take a step back and slowly decide what you want to take on that makes you happy. And, and it is too bad that younger teachers often feel the pressure to always say yes or maybe haven't learned that it's okay to say no. And so I love that you were able to help show her what that's like. All right, last topic. So this one is all about relationships. Relationships is one of those buzzwords we hear all the time, um, but it's true. They're often cited as the foundation of good teaching and students need to know that their teachers sincerely like and care about them in order to be the most successful in the classroom. And I found that to be true in my own experience. You really do have to genuinely like every student. So how do you build relationships with students, especially at the secondary level where you're seeing, you know, potentially more than 100 kids every day? And despite our best intentions, sometimes relationships get fractured between a teacher and a student. So when that happens, how do you fix it or how do you keep it from happening in the first place? Karen, what do you think? 
Um, well, I think that the very first thing to build relationships with your students is to greet them at the door every single day. And not only to do that, but to um, have something to say, ask them a question, um, you know, comment about something that they're wearing, um, to just kind of, it's my barometer. Um, Cause I'm, of course I have like the same 29 kids, you know, basically every single day. Um, so to me, that's how I check the weather. Because if I ask a kid a question and they like, you know, pull the strings of their hoodie closed, <laughs> that tells me a lot about how they're feeling. Um, and so I can really get a good uh, feel about how our day's gonna go um, just from the, the chat that I have with my kids at the door. And I also allow them to, um, you know, greet me in some way, like a hug, a handshake, a high five. I usually, you know, always make sure that there's one where there's no touch involved or whatever, um, but I give them a choice and it always makes our day just start off so much better. Um, and studies have shown that that actually like increases student engagement, like 27% right from the get go. And so that's something that I feel is really important. Um, another thing that I have never compromised, regardless of my schedule, is my classroom does a morning circle every single day. And that way, um, we ask a question of the day and every student gets to respond to it. So um, at the very beginning of our day, every student gets to hear their name. Every student gets to be greeted. Um, if students are absent, they know that we're saying that we wish them well, wherever they are, and that we miss them. And I get to learn and other students get to learn so much about the other kids in our classroom. And sometimes it's as silly as like, you know, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And, and sometimes it's like, um, you know, if you had a disagreement with a friend, what would you do? And so we get to really learn so much about the students in our class um, every day in our morning circle. And it's just time well spent. And, um, you know, to bring that all the way back, uh, we do that at the end of the day too. And we do something called gems. And so at the end of the day, I stick these big fake gems on our board and we do something the kids get to pick, um, something that's great, excellent, marvelous, and special every single day. So what happened in our day that, you know, was exciting to them? And then every single day, I take um, a picture of our gems and I email it to the parents. And so my parents can never say like, I have no idea what's going on in your classroom. Or I have, you know, I, I asked my kid what's going on at school and they say, oh no, nothing. <laughs> they can't say that because every day they're like, oh, I saw today that you had PE and my kid played Battleship. I saw that today you guys had pizza for lunch. I saw today that you guys read, finished Charlotte's Web and everybody cried. And I saw today that, you know, you guys were so proud because you finished this big writing project. So every single day, parents see four things that happened in our classroom every single day. And I really think that that builds relationships too, because um, the parents get to ask the kids like, so, hey, what in the heck is Battleship? How do you play that in PE? And so not only am I building relationships like in my classroom, I think I'm fostering relationships with parents and parents are 
like also, you know, their relationships with their kids are growing too, because they know what's happening at school. And the kids are like, you know, I, I always hear the parents because I try to send it as fast as I can after school gets out. So a lot of times I get it out before the kids even come home on the bus. And so parents are like a lot of times primed with these questions. And I'm like, oh, my kid would not stop talking <laughs> about this topic. And I really feel like it's time well spent because it really, as an educator, takes me less than five minutes um, to take the photo and send the email. And I really feel that, um, and I've been teaching for a really long time, but I started doing the gems about five years ago and parental engagement has gone through the roof. I used to send a weekly newsletter. I don't think anybody read it, but when I do the gems and it's timely and it's about that day, um, I think more people read it and they're really excited about it. So I think that that is something that really um, fosters relationships in my classroom. So for the gems, do the kids like write it on the board and then you take a picture of that or how does that work exactly? Yeah, so um, I just pick sticks every day and the kids get to write on the board. So the kids write it. Mm -hmm. um, they just write what they feel was exciting that day. Mm -hmm. And so um, they get to write it. And then I just take a picture uh, with my phone and then I just email it to myself. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's really easy to do. Yeah, that's a great, quick, easy idea. Um, I love the morning circle, just taking this intentional time to connect with kids on a human level. And I love the greeting at the door. I think that's something educators have heard and tried to practice for a long time. And it just addresses this human need that we all have of wanting to be seen and wanting to be noticed. Um, Lindsay, what do you think? What are some things that have worked for you? Um, this year, I've actually made a lot more effort to be outside my door for those greetings. And I have noticed that it does kind of help set the tone a lot. It's super easy to get caught up at your desk. And like, I don't know if maybe it's like also the stepping from high school to middle school, but like, I feel like I can get away from my desk a little easier. Like I don't have a lot of those like last minute at the end of the class, like stressful, whatever, like emails or questions. And so I have even noticed um, like all the teachers in my hallway are great about getting out in the hallway, um, greeting kids at the door. And you can see like a lot of little clusters and bubbles of kids having conversations with their teachers before class starts. And I noticed that it does really set the tone. And like when I'm not there, kids will come in my class and be like, are you okay? Like, why aren't you there if I get caught up with something? And so that's something that I have really tried this year. And I've noticed is um, it like, <laughs> Um, I also agree, like, I have been communicating with parents more this year um, than than I did at the high school. I think it's, like, a, it really helps to be on the same page with parents in general in education, but especially with sixth graders. Like, in our district in, in Pocatello, Chebec, um, the grading system changes from K through 5 to 6th grade and up. And so uh, kids, like, I learned this year kids just don't know what grades are because they come into sixth grade with, like, met target, near target, and below target. And so like I would be giving grades and updating infinite campus and like giving feedback and then they'd come and they'd be like, okay, but like, is a 65 good? And so we'd have to talk about like not good or bad, but like different terms. And so that's when I really started to kind of communicate with parents and with parents. And I've noticed that that really helped because um, I am building that relationship with parents too. One of the things I wanted to talk about is I have had instances where relationships have been fractured, and it can be a really thing as a teacher 
And sometimes, you know, it's it's something you say is, is misinterpreted or taken the wrong way. Or like I've noticed, and I don't know if it's, again, just sixth grade or what, but like kids are like, they will take like one thing you say and they will like apply it and it will, it's like the game of telephone. And so I actually had that happen this year and it was really weird because I'm like, I have, am draw, involved in drama with a sixth grader and I never had this at high school. Um, and it was a really scary situation, but I just made a point of, of talking to, to the parents first and like getting like their side of the story and then sharing my side and realizing like the kids that had been involved and like what happened and then communicating with the kid too. But I think oftentimes it can be intimidating to talk to parents and to also talk to kids one-on-one -on -one for some teachers. And I think that that's like a really important thing to do, to be willing to have those conversations, even though it might be scary. Like there's all the jokes. Um, I've even seen like little TikTok reels where it's like the teacher's calling home and they get really stressed out and it can be scary. But at the end of the day, I think we're all on the same page where we love these kids. We care about these kids and we just want to help them learn and be healthy, happy humans. And so I think approaching it that way and just letting the kids know that, you know, sometimes we might seem mean, but it's because we're, we're their teachers. We're those adults that have to hold them to those standards. And it's because we love them. And I think that's just really important communicating that and letting everyone involved know that that's like, that's why we're here. That's why we're in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that idea of explaining why we do what we do. Like, I'm not asking you to be on time to be rude or, or something, but you know, teachers just want the best from their kids Karen, I forgot to ask you about that part of the question. What about if a relationship goes wrong? How do you how do you fix it or heal it from there? I think that it just really boils down to communication. Um, I think that a lot of times, um, I really, you know, it's, it, I really haven't had too many relationships with students go awry, but I definitely think that parents um, sometimes. Um, you know, have miscommunication where they think something maybe has happened in the classroom um, that hasn't happened in the classroom and they hear something secondhand. So I think a lot of times it, it really boils down to um, ask, talking to me first. Um, so that's something that I, I really, you know, try to get parents to do because a lot of times um, they'll skip the teacher and go right to the principal <laughs> or the superintendent and um, a lot of times the solution is, is at the teacher level and the, the teacher can really help um, solve the problem and figure out what's going on. And it's usually a, a student to student issue or something like that. Um, but I really think when you come at it with an open mind and, um, a, you know, with a, a heart that's wanting to to solve the issue, um, people really understand that. And so I think that that's, that's just really the key is um, just making sure that people feel heard. A lot of times that's just really what people want um, is just saying like, you know, listening. Sometimes that's really hard to do um, is just to stop and listen and then say, I hear what you're saying. You're saying this. Um, and then um, this is what happened. Let's solve it. And so I feel like what, when you come to a, problem with that type of intention that it generally gets solved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Karen and Lindsay, you both talked about proactively initiating parent communication in positive ways. And that seems like a really good idea because they already have been in contact with you 
And then it's like the teacher's not just talking to the parent when a problem has arisen. It's like some regular, normal communication. Lindsay? Oh, I really started this this year too, and I have loved it, but there most, and I actually, it's not so much this year, but I, I don't know if maybe it's just new for a lot of my parents this year, but um, contacting home with positive communication and like praise, like I have had so many parents, especially this year that are surprised by it. And I've even started to include my administration when I do send like a positive email or when there is something positive happening, like if it's a kid that maybe, you know, mostly gets that negative communication I or gets sent to the office a lot, maybe not with me, but in general, letting um, the principal know when they're doing well. And that is something that like spreads. And I've had kids that are like, are you, are you talking to Miss so-and-so about me? And I'm like, yeah, what'd they tell you I said? And they're like, they said that you got a hundred, uh, that I got a good grade on this. And like, they're so proud that other teachers are noticing that. And like they do oftentimes like they, are like when you call home and parent be like, what happened now? And it's really fun when you can say something great and have that positive. And I think that's like a really important thing that I have noticed, especially this year has helped with those relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Um, and I think some families kind of get almost afraid of interactions from the teacher or the school and they'll disengage from it because they just assume it's going to be negative. So it's great when you when you take the time to to make that happen. All right, Julie, what are your thoughts on that relationship building with students? Um, and and at the high school level, like it's it is probably the most important thing. Um, I really think I don't think my kids will learn anything if they don't have a relationship with their teacher. And it takes a while. Like I really dread the first couple weeks of school because. If I don't know the kids, trying to get to know them as a math teacher, I mean, they don't like math, most of them. Um, and and so like just trying to convince them that, that you know, I'm not here to give them a bad grade. I want to teach them math. Um, it's kind of hard. I think um, one of the best things that we can do as educators is to be honest with our kids. Um, and so I typically try to show them my true self on a daily basis. Like if I'm having a bad day, I typically kind of tell the kids like, you know, I'm really sorry. Like I, I'm, I'm kind of having a stressful day. So I'm going to need to take a couple breaths right now. And, you know, um, so, you know, cause they have bad days too. They understand when you do, when I make a mistake, if I'm solving a problem or something, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. You guys let me do it. You didn't stop me because we all make mistakes. And so when they realize that, you know, we're not perfect standing up there, we make mistakes, we have bad days. Um, you know, if, if we do something wrong, I apologize. Like if, if, if I, you know, think somebody did something that they didn't really do, or, you know, it just, it's quick. I'm, I'm always quick to apologize for anything. Um, I think it kind of helps in the classroom. I talk about my classroom being a family all the time, like in we're six hour family. We don't, we don't talk to each other that way. We don't treat each other that way. What's going on? You don't normally act that way. So um, I don't know, just kind of trying to be really honest with them. Um, I'll tell you, it's kind of funny. Um, I think I'm probably scared of parents a lot more than um, than Karen or Lindsay. Um, I teach mostly high level kids and and parents of high achieving students are, um, they can be really scary. I, I started several years ago, anytime I need to meet with a parent about a kid, I always request that the student come to, um, just because I think that it, 
it's good for everybody that has an interest in whatever is going on to be in the same room. Um, and one of the big things that I, I talk about with our early career teachers um, is something that I learned early from my mentor, which is when you're sitting there and you're talking to a parent um, or you're talking to a student, it's really important to like not, not hide your feelings, but forget about how it personally made you feel. Because a lot of times you just got to put that away and think about from their perspective and, and really listen listen to what the parent's concern is, listen to what the student's concern is. And, and like Karen said, that's how you really solve the problem because, you know, otherwise you get into like a he said, she said kind of disagreement that really could have been solved with just a quick discussion. So even as, as much as I'm like, oh, I don't want to get into a fight with a parent, if there's any kind of tension or issue or anything, it's like the first thing you really want to do is say, okay, let's all sit down and let's talk this through. Because you know, if there is a fracture in a relationship with you and a student, they're not going to learn um, and you're not going to feel good about going into that class. And and so, I mean, it just you just kind of have to fix those things and they happen. And, you know, um, you know, I see like 125 kids a day and and I always tell them too, you know, like you're not all going to like me. You're not going to like me every single day, but but I'm here for you. I tell them my story a lot about how I came to be a teacher. And so a lot of times um, my kids are, they kind of have the understanding that, you know, it's possible I could go do something else and I could go make a lot more money as an engineer, but I'm here because teaching them is what I'm so passionate about. And I want them to be the best person they can be. Um, and so, and I think that kind of goes back to your question too. That's why the relationships are why we do the other things because we care about our schools and we care about our kids so much um, and we care about our communities that we want to make those those little people we want to make them the best people they can be and um and so yeah we go to their games and we go to their dances and we coach their debate teams and and all of that kind of stuff because we care about them that's why we fight legislation all the time and we um it's it's why we teach our kids how much we love learning it's why we continue to get degrees it's why um, it's, it's why we continue to fight for them. Everything we do, everything we do is about those kids. And, um, I think once they figure that out, it, it just changes their whole perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a really good point you make of building re relationships by letting them see you as a human being, whether that's your mistakes or your faults or just how much you care I think when I started out as a teacher, I was like really concerned with having boundaries and whatnot. And so I think I erred too much on this side of just being like uber, um, like professional all the time. And over the years I found that like, I just needed to loosen up and sometimes like tell a funny story about myself for five minutes. And that could do a lot for, um, you know, student relationships. So I love that you kind of talk about yourself with your students and your background and, and the why behind becoming a teacher. Well, thanks you guys for sharing everything. I really appreciate it. Do, do any of you want to add anything before we end? Okay. Well, that's it for this show. And we'll be back again with this panel next month. So thanks for listening. And that's it for this round of the Teacher's Lounge podcast. Don't forget to go to idahoednews.org for all the latest and have a great week.